Welcome to the Great Canadian Leadership Podcast, proudly brought to you by the Great Canadian Training and Consulting Company. I'm your host, Joel Silverstone. How to be persuasive from writing to speaking. Can you persuade another without feeling pushy or manipulative? Short answer, yes. In this episode, you're going to cover some easy ways to persuade, whether you're writing or speaking. And so your emails, your communication, your interaction will motivate others to action. And we're talking about persuasion today as part of our four-part series on soft skills. We're going to look at the ways that you can be persuasive in your interactions, what's involved, and then we're going to discuss how to make your writing more persuasive, more compelling, and clearer. Now, if you've been listening to our four-part series on soft skills, we discuss empathy, dealing with change, leading complex projects with clarity. And if you've applied some of those ideas from those episodes, then you've already started the process of persuasion by involving the other person. You've listened, you've empathized, you've connected with them. You pulled them closer by being authentic and being human. And persuasion is that. It's a balance of pulling to connect and pushing the ideas and the logic. Right. You're saying right now you heard the word pushy and you don't want to be pushy. And you're right. It's not about manipulation or pushing your agenda. Because you can't make people do anything, but you can influence them. And it is about the balance of that with the emotions and the logic. All right, let's bring this to life. Let's bring our hero, Jesse. Jesse is new to their role, but Jesse has been with the company for a while. Uh, and they're now paired with a manager who has been in that role for 20 years. And Jesse is often frustrated with their new manager because they don't feel like, Jesse doesn't feel like their ideas are being considered. So, for example, when Jesse has a new idea, uh, they're enthusiastic and they rush in to share with their manager and they're, they're full of certainty and they describe their latest plan. They give the facts, the figures, the reasoning. It all makes sense and it's all laid out. And then afterwards, once Jesse catches their breath and says, it's great, right? Let's do it. And the manager is quiet. And the manager finally shakes their head and says, mm, I just don't see it. No. And happened frequently. So now Jesse is, is going on assumptions. Well, their manager is too old school, too set in their ways. That's not how we do things around here. But what Jesse didn't take into account is how their manager liked to process information and make decisions. So it wasn't about new ideas or our ideas. It, that wasn't the problem. It was the signal that these new ideas represented, that their perspective, their methods and experience, maybe the manager was thinking were no longer valuable was the problem. So that was the signal sent by that approach. So the manager liked to reflect. The manager wasn't a let's you know take some ideas and go back and forth kind of person, they like to go away and work through an issue so they could share thoughtful and fully formed opinions. They didn't like to be put on the defensive by demanding an immediate answer. So trying to influence, to be more persuasive, Jesse tries a different approach and says, Manager, I have an idea I think makes sense, but I'm sure there's some things missing. If I run it by you, could you think about it for a day or two and then tell me what you think? Well, the approach was completely different and the result was completely different. And it was just a small switch. Instead of coming in and telling the facts and the logic and the reasoning, it was about what is important to their manager and how can I communicate in a way that they hear it and that they feel involved. And uh, talking about being authentic and being opinion, Jesse wanted their manager's opinion. They were genuinely, it was honest. 
And this way, it gave time for the manager to process the idea and for them to feel more comfortable. So again, it's part of the process, part of the solution, respected values are involved. And that's how the manager wants to feel. And that's how everyone wants to feel. Part of the process, part of the solution, respected, valued, and involved. So by turning the ideas, which were statements, into questions, can you think about it for a day or two and let me know what you think? Um, and instead of saying, it's great, right, let's do it, uh, it kept the manager from feeling defensive. So Jesse wasn't trying to tell the manager what to think or what they should do. It was asking for advice and input and ideas. So we think about that story, about what works best, what makes the other person feel comfortable, what will make that other person feel valued, respected, and included. And along the way, it's a way that you're able to lift them. So again, it's that simple switch by making the other person feel involved, not manipulated. You know, another manager might have might have might have reacted differently. They might have said, "Oh, that's a great idea from the get go." And when Jesse came in with the ideas, because that's how they operate. But it, that's what we're talking about in persuasion. It starts with knowing who's your audience and what motivates them. So a simple step back with "I have an idea, and I'd like your input" is going to be more persuasive with that type of manager or that type of person because you're not making the other person defensive or on the spot. You're involving them. So it is about trust. All right, let's look a little bit closer at some of the things that we can do to be persuasive or what persuades people. Well, number one, it is about being likable. And being likable doesn't mean being a people pleaser, but how does that other person feel when they are with you? How do you make them feel? Number two, as we just heard from, the, from our manager and Jesse, know your audience. What is important to them? Why would they care? Speak their language. In other words, do they use simple words? Do they use complex words? What is their rate of speech? Do they speak really fast? Do they speak a little bit more deliberate? What's their social style? Are they more driven by logic? Are they more driven by emotion? I could share with you uh, a couple of anecdotes on this. And one is in working with uh, consultants, uh, we would do difficult conversations and we'd do some practice scenarios. And then I would always ask, because doing a role play in front of everyone can be very uh, tense and you're in a vulnerable situation. So I'd always say, all right, you know, how, how do you feel? And the consultants would always go, uh, okay. And then I realized it was just changing the word from feel to think. And I'd change it to, what do you think? And the consultants would say, well, I felt. And they would always start with a feeling word. But it was changing the word from feel, which they took that literally, to what do you think, which opened it up, which became more of an open question. So that was an example of switching the language. How do they think? They think more analytically than emotionally. Another example was while I was being the struggling actor, I was also working at a barbecue chicken restaurant. Now, a barbecue chicken restaurant is basically when it's all they serve, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the chicken is cooked. It's ready. It was rolling on that rotisserie. It's done. It's ready to go. And customers who came to this restaurant had this high expectation that as soon as you order, the food was going to be on your uh, on your table. And they, were, they had high expectations. They were like a tough crowd. Uh, and here I am. I was constantly running around because the food was just coming up faster and they were polishing off their plates and wanted the check. And it was such a fast turnaround. I couldn't keep up.
And then at one point, I, I just lost it. I had like eight plates. I was balancing between my two arms. And a customer says, uh, can we get the, the check? And normally I would have said, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I'll be right back. And I just said, I've only got two hands. Hang on. And the customer said, oh, no problem. No problem. And that was a turning point. Afterwards, I started speaking to the customers like that. I matched their tone of voice. I matched their rate of speech. I matched the tone of the restaurant, this sort of speedy uh, restaurant. And my tips went increased. In fact, the owner asked me to train the other staff. There was so much turnover to do that. And they they had uh, better returned uh, on the staff. The staff stayed longer. I had better return on my tips. It all worked well. So uh, know the audience which is also sometimes matching their language, matching their rate of speech, matching their social style. And now combining the two, being likable and knowing your audience, there was a study done that people are much more likely to accept what you have to say once they have a sense of what kind of person you are. So in a negotiation study, Stanford students were asked to reach agreement in class. And without any instructions of any kind, 55% of the students successfully reached agreement. Now, when students were instructed to introduce themselves, share their background before attempting to reach agreement, 90% of the students did so successfully, from 55 to 90%. So the person you are speaking with is a person, not an opponent or a target. So no matter how compelling your argument, if you fail to connect on a personal level, they will doubt what you say. All right, we talked about being likable. We talked about knowing your audience. And we talked about being authentic. This brings us to confidence. And confidence is taking out the filler words. Filler words, not just the ums and the ahs, but filler words like I think. So we want to look at having positive body language, that your breathing is under control, your facial expressions, your tone of voice are all much more confident uh, and much more centered. So that if you say I think, it sounds Humble, like you have uh, authority. It's how you say it. And number four is that authority. And authority simply means that you have knowledge about a topic and you know how to express it. And it's what you want to share. Number five, like Jesse, be genuine and honest. Remember, number one, you are open. You're not stuck on your idea or point of view. You have their best interests at heart. And the final part about some of the formulas that make us persuasive is using your emotional intelligence. 90% of top performers rate highly in emotional intelligence, they were able to, which means basically how you read and respond to people, which ties it all in. Let's take a break for our ad. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about persuasion in your writing. At The Great Canadian Training and Consulting Company, we want to help you develop skills in a way that is purposeful and impactful. If you or someone on your team wants to improve their leadership skills, it can be hard to know where to start. That's why we've developed interactive and engaging leadership packages, each consisting of multiple courses, individualized leadership coaching, and other resources. To support leaders at all levels, we've created four leadership packages, each specially designed to improve a leader's skills in a particular area. Lead with trust. Lead effective and collaborative teams. Lead with executive presence. And lead your presentations. Leaders will be engaged and learning from our proprietary, instructor-led training and grow as part of our community of like-minded leaders. 
To learn more about our leadership packages, go to greatcanadiantraining.ca or email us at info at greatcanadiantraining.ca and mention leadership package in the subject line. Let's talk now about writing persuasively. So a core principle of persuasion, and specifically now when it comes to writing and why this should not feel pushy, and hang on, because this may feel or sound counterintuitive what I'm about to say is make it easy for the other person when you're writing. It's called the nudge effect. In other words, make it a default. Make it easy for them to respond to it, easy for them to read this, easy for them to understand and to comp- comprehend. So for example, if you're applying to someone's email and they said they're about, they're being very overwhelmed and you might write back and fair enough, instinctively, how can I help? Well, that may not be that helpful. So an email generosity would require actually simplifying that easy to answer questions. You would, you can reply instead of how can I help, which is Again, putting the onus on the other person now to have to, and they're already overwhelmed to now they have to think of an answer and they might not reply to you right away uh, because they have to think of how they want to phrase that. So to make it easy for them, you might say, can I help best by A, calling, B, visiting, or C, staying right out of it. And you're giving them a choice because they could simply, you're giving them a choice to keep it very simple. Same thing. Um, Is it asking a lot? to send someone an email with four long paragraphs with tons of text and then followed by thoughts. Well, and then you wonder why they haven't replied. So when we want to write persuasively is we, again, we want to make it as easy for them, almost like a default. It's called the nudge effect, make it automatic. Our attention spans are low. They have decreased a lot over the years. In 2000, our attention span was approximately 12 seconds. And now it has shrunk significantly to like 8.25 seconds. That's, and you may have heard this example before, that's shorter attention span than a goldfish who are able to focus on a task or object for nine seconds. So if you want to encourage people to do something, make it easy. And to do that, you have to give some thought to your audience so that they don't have to be thinking too much about it. You need clarity when it comes to persuasion. And so... These are the four words that we basically want to think about when we are being uh, persuasive. So you need clarity when it comes to persuasion. And these are the four words. What do you want the other person to know, to think, to feel, to do? So to know, is it are you trying to inform them, instruct? Do you want them to think? What do you want them to understand, to remember? What do you want them to feel? Reassurance, interest, appreciation, concern, and what do you want them to do? to spend, to sign, to uh, to keep. Because basically when people are reading this email, they want to know, what are you asking me to do? And if the information is there very clearly about answering these questions, what do you want them to know, to think, to feel, and to do, you are making it, again, easy for them and by default. So who is your audience? Why are they reading this? What do they need to know? Why is this important to them? And then finally, in this day and age, where are they reading this? Are they reading this on their phone? Are they reading while they're commuting? Are they reading this on a tablet, on a laptop? So our tips to make it easy. Keep it concise and clear. Too many words is going to make it very difficult to keep the attention of your uh, reader. For example, red car. Red car. You're focused on the red and not the car. 
you're asking the audience to double process when one word will do, such as car. And then when we put the adjective red before car noun, we planted the color red in people's minds and they get stuck there. So some other examples that we use in our professional skills writing course, business writing that works, we might say, for example, at this point in time, well, you might say that, but when you're writing that and we don't want people to double process at this point in time, that's a lot for people to be processing. We just want to say currently or now. Another example might be during the time that, and you might just say simply during, instead of during the time that, during or while. There is no doubt that you could say undoubtedly or certainly. So an active voice in writing also helps it make it easy. Talking directly, making it more personal. So the example is the exam was thought to be unfair by the students. It's happening to the students. It's passive. Want to make it more active. The students thought the exam was unfair. You're making it clear for your audience. In the same way that it could be active, we can also make it affirmative and not negative. So negative would be, if you do not have more than five years experience, do not call for an interview if you have not already spoken to human resources. And if we don't make it affirmative, we'd say applicants with more than five years experience can bypass human resources and call for an interview. Now, we're talking about reading and, and uh, we want to make the processing as simple as possible. So positive wording and also the greatest word in the English language, you. So if we can make it you-centric or as my uh, son would say, uh, sometimes when I'm complaining, it, goes, it sounds like you have a you problem. Uh, so in response to where someone might say uh, something, something, can you get this done by such and such date? Um, uh, we need this. And you're reply might be, I can't do this until next week. There are too many problems with the project right now. I can't do this until next week. There are too many problems with the project right now. Well, that's uh, asking now for a return uh, on the email and going, so can you do it? Can you not do it? What's going on? Instead, you can simply say, you can expect this next week because that's all the other person wants to know. And if we want to get to persuasion, it's about what do they need to know? How can we move this forward? And most importantly, you're showing that you're interested in them and in their best interests. And now it's time for our three stars, no trois étoiles. These are the three takeaways from today's episode that you can put into practice. So number three, have you connected with their emotion first and then introduced the because, the logic? Have you pulled them and then you push the ideas and the logic? Which leads to number two, trust. Are you pushing your agenda or are you being open? And are you seeing what is important to them? And number one is know your audience, what is important to them and how best to communicate with them. And now for the next step. How can you take what everything we spoke about and do one simple thing and put it into practice right away? Ask yourself, how can I make it easy for the other person? Enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Great Canadian Leadership Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode and leave us a rating or review if you enjoyed this episode. 
let's stay connected. Join us on LinkedIn at Great Canadian Training and Consulting. And if you want more free resources and our list of professional instructor-led courses from software to soft skills, then make sure to come on over to greatcanadiantraining.ca. If you have any questions or comments on the show, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Email us at podcast at greatcanadiantraining.ca. We'll see you next episode in our search for what makes a great communicator with our leadership and communication discussions and tips.